0: Hi there, welcome back to The Walk Through the Psalms. I am Pastor Lars Hammer here, from Lord of Grace Lutheran Church in Marana, Arizona. I want to welcome you back to my weekly Bible study, where I look at a, usually a smaller passage of the Psalms, and we'll give it a little bit of context, but also look at what it means for us today. We're gonna to look at today at Psalm 72, uh, verses one through four and 12 through 14. This one's a little bit different than some of the other psalms I've done in that a lot of the other psalms are very personal. They're written by one person bringing an individual person's prayer or concern or struggle to God. This psalm is what they call a royal psalm, so it was ostensibly written for King Solomon, David's son, to hear. And so the setting you have in this one is not so much an individual sitting down by the campfire pleading with God about their suffering. You have say a harpist, flutist, court musician at a big celebration, maybe a coronation for Solomon, and putting the words in here in a very strategic way for his ears so that he as a king would know what is it that God desires of you as a king what is it God wants the king to be right so what are the traits that God wants of the king we know the traits that kings want of themselves but you know wealth and power and these kind of things but what is it God wants a king to do so let's take a little bit of a look at this here we'll read through it it is in the new revised standard version Uh, so here we go of Solomon So, see, this is a song supposedly about Solomon. We we can't confirm for sure the history of this, whether it really was for Solomon or kings in general, but we'll run with it. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. All right, what should a good king be? Well, a good king should be just and righteous. Where does justice and righteousness come from? Not from ourselves, the psalmist saying, but those are gifts that come from God. The psalmist is asking, That God will give this king, Solomon, justice. That the king will know justice from God. That this is sort of a divine gift in a way. That it goes so much against our nature that we need to turn to God to find a sense of righteousness and justice. But it also says an amazing thing about God, that these are qualities that God cares about. That God isn't looking for rulers to do... A lot of the things we look for rulers to do. You know, isn't asking for territorial expansion, uh, isn't asking to increase national pride. This is asking that the ruler will be just. Now, just, justice can mean multiple things. We know that. It can have a court legal kind of connotation where the king is kind of the judge of last resort. We know in the Bible that Solomon did that a lot. We have the famous story of the two prostitutes and there's a baby between them and they're trying to figure you know they're arguing over whose baby it is they go to Solomon to debate this so we know that's a common thing that's one understanding of justice there's also very much an economic understanding of justice it's very much in the Old Testament that it is the responsibility of the wealthy and the powerful to make sure that the poor and the needy uh, get a fair treatment in court but also that they get basic Uh, life needs, that they get food, clothing, shelter, all those kind of things. Uh, And uh, also that there be a degree of I guess what we would today call social justice, right? So that the poor have health care and that they have uh, food and that they have housing and that these things are not things that the poor are expected to produce on their own but it is the king's responsibility to make sure they happen. So interesting to think about that. God wants that. Um, Also that God is wanting the king to sort of be the advocate of the poor and they needy, to be their defender. You see down here in verse four, uh, may he defend the cause of the poor, the people. So who's on the side of the poor? We know that the, the wealthy have their own means, that they defend each other, they have the means to defend themselves, they can hire all the lawyers they want, they can rig the laws in their favor all they want, and the Bible is full of stories of the wealthy rigging the laws to their advantage over the poor. But who pleads the case of the poor? I mean, even today, who, who, who gets rich and gets the giant house by going and working for legal aid and defending the poor? you know, instead you want the giant house, you defend the rich or you, you know, help corporations make patent lawsuits about copying machines and such. Um, You know, that's how you do it. Who is the voice of the poor? The psalmist is saying very clearly, king, listen up, you are that voice. The wealthy have their voice, you are to be the voice of the poor. You are their advocate. You are supposed to be the one on their side, right? Defend the cause of the poor, not lecture the poor on making better lifestyle decisions, not instruct the poor that they need to save their money better and spend less of it on uh, vices. No, defend the cause of the poor. And the Bible's very much in this. There's not, not, as far as I know of, a single place in the Bible where the poor are criticized for bad work ethic and bad choices and addiction devices It's always poverty is a function of the system. And God's solution is that it's the wealthy's job to fix the system, but also knows that the poor have a vested interest, you know, things like good working conditions, higher wages, that are always going to be somewhat against the interests of the wealthy landowners, which is primarily what it would have been in this time. And so it's the king's job to stand up, for the needy. Interesting. Um, Give them deliverance, ideally bring them out of poverty, and crush the oppressor. Yeah, there we go. got a little biblical justice there. Let's keep going. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. All right, I jumped ahead a few verses, but uh, let's see, uh, eight verses to be exact. This chunk is not just talking so much about the king. This chunk talks about God. This is what God does. But the implication here is not very subtle. It's, well, pretty blatant. That The reason this is in here is so that the king will know What does it mean to be a godly king who walks in God's steps and does the godly way? Well, here's what the godly way looks like. You deliver the needy, right? Um, And you deliver those who have no helper, right? This is an important kind of key idea. Who helps the poor? One of the key differences between people who are wealthy and those who are poor is not that the rich necessarily have better uh, morals. Uh, Kids growing up with, you know, the children of millionaires and the children of working class people, it isn't like the children of millionaires are, you know, more celibate and use less drugs and save their money better and are more respectful of the law. One of the biggest differences is when the trust fund baby, when the millionaire's kid screws up daddy can bail him out when he gets addicted daddy can buy him a treatment plan when he wrecks his car daddy can buy him a new one when he when he screws off in school daddy can buy him a tutor when the poor kid does the exact same thing He's got no one to bail him out. He doesn't have a dream team of lawyers to get him out of trouble. He has to rely on go- the government to pay for his treatment because he can't afford a, a inpatient treatment program. When he goes down, there's no the helpers are not there in the same way to cushion the fall to help him bounce back. He's on his own and the bottom can fall out real quickly. Whereas you don't hear of that as often of the millionaire's kids, where the bottom falls out and they end up on the street. If they do, it's because daddy finally got a backbone and said, you know what, I'm done bailing you out, kid. But who's gonna be the helper? The ones who have no helper, the Lord God. That's what the Lord God is. The Lord God is on their side, right? He has pity on the weak. He doesn't judge the weak. He doesn't condemn the weak. He doesn't lecture them for their lifestyle. He has pity on them, right? The Lord feels for them, and he saves their lives. Uh, And then the last line, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life. So the Lord values their life, tries to improve the quality of their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. So their lives matter. When the poor and the needy die, he doesn't go, oops, there goes another one. God feels for the lives of the people who we often don't value or we don't consider that worthy. So remember that even going all the way back into the Psalms, every life is valuable in God's sight. And when the poor and the needy die, which happens disproportionately more to them than it does to those who are wealthy, God feels for them. You know, God does not consider them disposable trash. And how often does our society do that, right? A homeless guy dies and we don't even notice. But in God's eyes, that homeless person is every bit as much a child of God as anybody else. And this is what God is. So this is how the psalmist is setting it up. It begins with a song ostensibly in the court or coronation of Solomon uh, right in front of him for his ears to hear. God, give these traits to him that he'll be just, that he'll stand up for the poor and the needy, that he'll plead their cause, that he'll make sure they get a fair shake and a fair trial. And I want to praise God because that's what God does, you know. So, I wish, like a lot of this, that there would have been a critique of monarchy in there, that there would have been a critique of the system that puts one person in charge and that gives one person that much control. You know, the psalmist isn't that far ahead in his thinking, but he clearly has a different priority of what he expects of the king. And how many of us will, you know, look at our leaders, our rulers, our presidents, our politicians, and when we go to the ballot box, we say, What did this politician do to advocate for the poor and the needy? What did this politician do to increase the lives of those who have nobody advocating for them? Um, That's a different question than I think we ask a lot of the time. But if you're going through the Psalms, that would be a question you would ask. That would be a godly question. Uh, That would be what God would want to grant to all leaders. So that's my insights there on Psalm 72 the royal coronation psalm, supposedly for King Solomon. Hope that's been helpful to you. I hope you all have a great week, and I hope you'll catch up again next week with the next video that we do. God bless.